You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, y'all. It's Amir Yasai with the take on for the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm so excited to have my good friend Kapil Talwalker Honey from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So talented, so amazing, so intersectional. How are you, Kapil? Hey, Amir. I'm, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, I love hearing your voice. It's like we get to hang out over a podcast. It's wonderful. I, I know. <laughs> How is your quarantine? What's going on? How have you been keeping busy? Um, quarantine's been good. I've been, um, you know, I, I, I've been, I have a bunch of creative projects kind of up in the air, um, that I've been, I've been kind of chipping away at. One of them's a, uh, rap album based on the South Asian experience. Uh, one I'm doing, I'm, I'm working on a script for a pilot, um, you know, like a, like a time travel show, you know, so I just have a bunch of these things up in the air and I'm also spending my time working out, hanging out with family. So it's been good, man. Amazing. I can't wait to see that post-quarantine body. I love it. Good Dude, for you. Me too, man. And I-, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, you always look good. And I think the way that you've been able to create your career and move forward is is very inspiring. And I know a lot of people that are going to be listening, you know, being South Asian in Hollywood, it can be hard. You know, there's a limited amount of roles, quote unquote. That's what they make yeah. it seem like, right? But you yeah. made your way. And I think with Zoe's, um, I want to hear a little bit about your journey with that. Um, I know you always love to sing. And every time I've been around you, um, we always get to singing and dancing. Um, oh, tell me a little bit about that. So um, about the experience of like how I got onto Zoe's? Yes. Yeah, so it was a it was an audition. I remember it was it was like a Friday evening, and my manager was like, "Hey, this this thing came through. Uh, they're having a hard time finding the guy. And um, do you think you, you'd be up for it? There's like you know three pages of sides of comedy material. They want you to uh, come in and do a song, and they also want you to rap mm-hmm. the ludicrous part of All I Do Is Win. Mm-hmm. And you got to get all this prepared in three hours. Can you do it? Wow." And I was like, uh, shit, uh, yeah, man. And because, you know, I'm always up for a challenge. And I, the way I looked at it is like, everyone's kind of on a time crunch. Everyone that's gotten this material is on a time crunch. And lucky for me, actually, the, the, the funny part of it is like, I had all, already worked on, I was on a, on a musical set that I was doing. So I already had Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen prepared and ready. Mm-hmm. And Funny enough, all I do is win, which was you know featured in the pilot and um, the ludicrous rap that you know didn't actually end up making it in the in the final cut of the pilot, which they had me do. All I do is win. Do you know like when you like uh, turn your car on and sometimes music just starts playing and it's usually the the, the beginning of your uh, 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 iTunes whatever, like it's like a song. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was all I do is win. So. And so like I actually memorized the ludicrous rap part simply because I'd heard it so much accidentally. Um, And and so I kind of just like got into it and half of it was sort of already prepared. The other half I worked on the comedy. And next thing I know, the next day they called me up and they're like, hey, this is crazy, but we need to get you on a flight to Vancouver in two hours. Wow. (laughs) Or for for a table read. So, you know, so it, it was it was all pretty crazy, man. And, um, and, and, you know, so that's, that's how I got into the whole Zoe's journey. 
That's amazing. And I think it's crazy that like in, in life, sometimes things are kismet, right? Like, why was it that song that was playing and you had three hours to get prepared? And it's like, all things kind of fall into line. And I know a lot of Broadway people as well, because, you know, with our podcast, we have a lot of Broadway listeners. They also know that like very last minute, you got to get everything together. And there even is kind of a Broadway-esque energy to Zoe as well. I know a lot of the people on the show have been on Broadway as well. Um, so I, I kind of want to know a little bit about like what's happening kind of when the camera's not rolling. Are you guys singing together? Are you guys going out to karaoke? Like what's the vibe between the cast members? Yeah, yeah. The, the energy between the cast. I know there was a lot of Broadway performers that we have um, on the cast. Skylar Aston being one of them. Mm-hmm. Lauren Graham has been on Broadway. Stephanie Styles has been on Broadway. Um, we got Bernadette Peters, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who's been on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got these like heavyweight Broadway actors for our show and you know you'd think that they'd be sort of unapproachable and like you know that we'd get intimidated by them but they're all such softies and and we are like in in the truest sense it feels like musical theater camp I mean wow um I remember just like you know um I remember just like when I first met Stephanie and 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 Renee and we were just like riffing and like it just felt like the energy is just infectious. It truly feels, it doesn't feel like we're working. It feels like we're just there to, to, you know, make good art and have a lot of fun, man. And, and, and when we're not, uh, Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention Alex Newell. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. Alex, of course. Was on Broadway as well. Like the most incredible Broadway performer. And one of the, I have a really funny, um, karaoke story with my cast actually. Yeah. Um, the, when we filmed the pilot, it was my birthday and I was so intimidated by everyone. And I was like, Hey guys, um, I'd like to celebrate my birthday with you guys. I don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And they all arranged a karaoke night. Oh, and, I love that. And that was the night that we all really got to know each other really well because we went out, we had a blast. We were like dancing and singing and, and, there's a there's few things as exhilarating as watching and duetting and performing with Alex Newell and karaoke. When Alex is performing, it's just like, okay, Alex, you 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 beat karaoke. Uh, <laughs> you win. You win, win the karaoke. Win. I mean, I mean, Alex is like, he's riffing and like, you know, tearing the house down with his vocals, and you're like, okay, people are like peeking in through the like through our window to be like what is happening here <laughs> like who is inside this room and it, it is it, it was such i mean i it's so hard to describe that energy because it was like one of those once in a lifetime things where you're like you have so many talented people just doing karaoke and having fun and i was like I, there was a moment that i was like just sitting there it was my birthday wow. and i was like i'm so blessed to be in this situation uh-huh. That's amazing. And I think it has something to do with the fact that everyone, like you said, it's musical theater camp. I know when I was around musical theater people, there there's a level of like, we're kind of like the creative freaks and geeks and you all get together. And no matter how famous or successful you are, you always kind of go back to that community. And it's nice that you guys are able to lean on each other and have such a strong cast. I love that. Absolutely, man. That's amazing. Um, what was one of your favorite, um, you know, big Broadway heavyweights. I know when I saw Bernadette Peters, I was like gasping. Yeah. Um, was there someone else on the show? Like Paul Fee? There were so many great um, guest stars. What was one of your, who was one of your favorites? So many, um, so many, truly. I, um, watching Renee mm-hmm. work 
and hearing her voice. You know, okay, this is a really great story. I, 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 my vocals were on um, uh, Get Together, which is the episode 11 and the force four and six, you know, we're fighting and, and uh, it's the come on people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, that song. Yes, yes, and, I love that. Oh my God. Yeah, so, so, you know, Renee had recorded her vocals for it. And so um, I was told that they wanted me to record my vocals for the last verse of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, hey, we need like a baritone voice for the end to sort of balance it out. Can you go and, and record? And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll go up and, and record. So I go up to the booth and I record. And, and they're like, hey, just you're kind of like um, Michael's going to be mirroring Lauren, but you're going to be mirroring what Renee is doing, but you're going to go down an octave and there's a few notes that you're going to change, but we want to, we want to like play you like her track so you can, you can mirror it. Mm -hmm. So here it is. And they play it and it's like listening to butter. (laughs) And by the way, this is like her raw track. This is like, they're like, by the way, this is unedited. And this is like, we didn't do anything to it yet and make it all like echoes and flashy, whatever. I was like, you don't need to. It is gorgeous. Crazy. And and so so I, and I was like so I was like listening to this outside the booth and they're like, all right, are you ready? Are you good to go? I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so so if you if you listen to the vo- if you listen to the recording of Get Together, m- me and Renee were singing the same melody. I'm just singing it a couple octaves down. Um, but yeah, so that's a fun, like, that's how, that's one of those. And then Justin Kirk, I mean, I don't know if Justin's done Broadway, but one of the, it was like watching an acting master class, uh, wow. and Lauren Graham work together. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and Lauren, I get front row seat to watch her every day. Um, but her and her and Justin together was just like, it was like watching fireworks. I didn't even have this, like, I was off for the rest of that day, but I just showed up to sort of like, just take notes, man. That wow. was um, incredible what an incredible like learn like you said you have a front row seat to these masters that are just like such you know aficionados of their craft and it's so amazing to be able to watch that but i'm curious for people that aren't singers like you and don't really understand how when someone says go down an octave like what does that feel like in your singing voice in your throat like how do you is it just practice that, that singers are able to kind of know what octave up and down means like can you break that down for us yeah, so um, so it's it's just singing the same note. Mm-hmm. Um, you're singing a C, but you're just singing the C lower. Mm-hmm. So I'd be singing it up here, but it's the same note down here, right? Oh, uh, that's cool. <laughs> but so, but so essentially. So Renee would be singing it up there, and then I'd be singing it down there, and that it. When you have that, it sort of balances out and adds a sense of bass to the song, mm-hmm. and um, it 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 so it provides just another kind of nuance and and color to it. Absolutely, it adds layers to it, which I think is like you said, her her voice is like butter, and then you add the different layers to it. It just like it the bass is always really good. Um, which um, I know with a lot, especially with Broadway and you go to plays and you see like people like Christian Chenoweth, like the voice is already there. It's just about adding the layers to it, which is really, really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, obviously like, you know, this is 
such an, it can be an intimidating cast and, and a group of people, but the way that everyone kind of took you in before, I know you have a very special relationship with Skylar and a lot of the cast members, but before that kind of built, when you were going into it, were there moments where you felt imposter syndrome or unworthiness or overwhelmed about the process? Dude, the whole time. The whole, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think the moment I realized I kind of belonged Mm-hmm. is when the times that I would make the crew laugh after a take or, uh, or um, you know, I, I would see that visceral reaction of like right. a physical reaction of, of, of someone reacting to something I'm doing. Um, Absolutely. And that's a big deal, Capel, because a lot of times the crew see everything, right? And so when they laugh, you're like, oh, I really got to them because they see everything and they're just kind of like unfazed. Yeah. So that's just, uh, yeah, man, they're just trying to do their job and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily need to go out of their way and, and you know, uh, and, and do that. But, but, mm-hmm. but when, when the, every time the crew reacts like that, it's like, oh, wow. Um, maybe that was funny. Maybe that like, you know, and, and sometimes like you, I do a lot of theater and when you're doing theater comedy, especially you get a visceral reaction to the audience if something's working. Right. Um, and, and so, so you don't get that necessarily in, in television because everyone's supposed to be quiet. And, but if something is just like really funny, you, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and people are responding to it, it just feels good. And it feels like, oh, okay, I'm on the right track here, you know? Absolutely. And I, I want to go back a little bit. What you mentioned, like the play that you were in, I know that that was a big stepping stone for your career. So can you talk to me about the experience of doing live theater and kind of being involved with um, putting yourself out there? And, in, in you know, like you can't do takes when it comes to live theater, right? So it's a little different. Yeah. So when you do live theater, it's like if you mess up, you mess up, you just move on and you move on mm-hmm. to the moment. Um, I did a play called Radiant Berman. It was a Philip Ridley play um, in Los Angeles in, mm-hmm. in Monica in the, the, the winter, fall, winter-ish of 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 2018. And it was essentially me and one other person on stage and there was a third actor who came in for, for two scenes, but essentially it was me and another person on stage for about two hours. Wow. And, um, and it was a comedy. And <laughs> so nothing kicks your ass like a comedy that's two hours that you have to keep the audience engaged and wow. it's more comedy on top of that. So you're laughing, 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 laughing in the last 10 minutes, you know, you, you, you have to like deliver this in a way that, you know, it, it leaves a lasting impact for, for, for the audience. We're like, wait, what have we been laughing at? So, so right. it, it was a comedy about homelessness and the housing crisis. And it was, we, it was, it was set in, in London. So we had British wow. accent. So there was, it was really challenging. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was nights that like the, it, it worked really well. It like where you feel like, you know, oh my God, I'm amazing. I did, I crushed it. And then there's nights where you're like, all right, time to give up. I suck. And, and <laughs> I think anyone that's done live theater, myself included, and I do stand up as well. You have days where the audience like gets it. And then there are days, even with Broadway, where the audience just doesn't get it. They're like, what are you guys doing exactly? So hmm. I, I'm sure. And like you said, making comedy and also giving people a lasting impression is really hard because I know, and you've experienced this with comedy, people are like, go in and they're like, I don't want to laugh. Like people don't want to give you a laugh or they'll give you their tears, but they don't want to give you a laugh. It's no. really, interesting. they'll give you their tears, but they're, 
they don't want to give you their laugh. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, I, I, so I, I believe that, and there's different types of audiences, you know, there's, there's the, there's the, there's the theater goer audience, which is like right. my friends who are theater kids come in to see the show. And then, you know, you can have a really bad performance and they'll still laugh at whatever you do because they right. want support and they want to make sure that you feel loved and all that stuff. But the, I don't think like that f- makes you feel great, but it gives you a false sense of victory or positive Absolutely. or like false sense Absolutely. of the gauge of like how, how your choice, how your comedic choices are doing. And I think mm-hmm. oftentimes the, the most progress I've done is in an anonymous room where literally it's like people that are like, I've bought tickets off of gold star and that's how we filled the house. I really don't know anyone that's in the house. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, wow, like, do you have anyone in the audience? No, I don't have anyone. And then we're all just like, let's hope this works. And then it does. And then they're laughing and they're crying. And then you, then those are the moments where you can't make excuses to yourself of why you, you're taking away that victory of why something worked, you know? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And those audiences are harder sometimes and also, but also creatively a little bit more freeing. I know when I've done live performances and my friends were in the audience, I wanted to make them laugh so bad, but I also like didn't want to take as many risks. Like you, it's like, it's weird. It's like a double-edged sword. And I know a lot of people that perform live theater, like you kind of want your friends there, but you kind of don't as well. Like it's weird. I I always, I always, every time I have a good show, I always Mm -hmm. regret that I didn't invite more people to it. (laughs) So true. It's like, man, I should have invited everyone that I said that I didn't invite. And I was like, don't come to this one because I'm going to try some, some stuff out. And then I'm like, and then it works. And then I'm like, fuck, everyone should have come to watch the thing that like, that worked. You know, absolutely. When it doesn't work, you're like, why did I invite all these people? I know my friends were visiting from New York and I invited like 10 people to a show and none of my jokes were landing. And the person that went up before me did a similar set. And it, it was just kind of like, and it was funny because people sometimes even with live theater or performance, they're like, oh, you should have tried that. Or like my friends were like, why don't you do that joke? And I'm like, well, we have a set or a, like an idea that, and you go with that creatively. Have there been moments where like, even with Zoe's or other projects you've done where you've gotten like unsolicited advice and how do you take that on? Like, everyone, do you take everyone on wants to offer advice? Everyone, every, yep. everyone has notes, man. Everyone mm-hmm. has notes. And yep. if I've learned anything, I think here's the, here's my key to, to that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think as a creative, you, you need to have your inner circle of people that you trust that are the people you go to for your notes. Usually it's the direct, maybe it's the director of the set, mm-hmm. maybe it's the director of the play or the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, not maybe, it is the director of the play because that is true, sure. obviously. And, and maybe your acting coach or, or someone that you creatively lean on because they have a, they, you know that they have good taste. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have like some random Joe Schmo guy who like, you know, likes, I don't know what, it's like how, I I know what people cheer for. That's why I don't care about their boobs, you know? Right. It's right. like you, you watch this, so why do I care about your opinion about my thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so, so. Um, you have to realize where the advice is coming from, right? And a lot of people give advice based off of their own broken dreams. Oh, I had a mentor that told me that once. And I was like, that's like life changing. Because it's true. People are like, 
don't do that. Don't become an actor. It's so hard when you're brown or it's so hard if you're Persian and gay. Like people like to give that advice and it's like, but you're, what are you doing? Like you're a dentist. If, don't have, if, if someone doesn't have the context, mm-hmm. I truly am a huge component of shutting out other people's opinions. Yes, I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I'm truly a, a, a proponent of that because mm-hmm. it will break you if, you know, mm-hmm. and just also being sensitive to like the cheers too. Like you don't need, you don't necessarily, like if you're too sensitive to the cheers, you'll be too sensitive to the booze, man. So well said. Wait, you should say that again for the cheap seats. If you're too sensitive for the cheers, you're too sensitive for the booze. It's true because it's, you're going to take on both of them. Yes, if you're too sensitive to the cheers, you're too sensitive to the booze. You just Absolutely. take it with a take take like take it in, but right. but like if you if you like crave that stuff, if you're obsessed yeah. with it, the, the mm-hmm. first time someone says something negative about you, you're going to be heartbroken, won't be able to leave your bed. And then, right. you know, God forbid, someone says something really mean, and and it'll destroy you. I've seen it destroy people, man, and I've seen it literally. Uh, actor friends of mine, and they'll get they're, they're so addicted to the to the cheers. Someone writes a bad article about their performance on a show or whatever, and I, like literally, this happened to a friend of mine recently. Who, mm-hmm. hey man, I'm like devastated. Can you come over? Like, I just got to talk about some. Like, please, like this isn't true, is it? Like, you you know me. Like, I'm not. And I'm like, dude, like, this is one person's opinion. They don't know you. They don't know your work. You know, they don't know, like, you don't know their taste. What if they, like, you know, what if they, like, you you don't know what they cheer for. Why do you care about their boots? This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. That's well said. It's, I mean, it's really well said because a lot of people don't really sit there and think, like, where is this negative comment coming from because at the end of the day that person's also trying to get clicks on their article so they're gonna when you write something negative people are more likely to share it they're more likely to like it so at the end of the day unfortunately like that's what pr and all of that stuff is and i like the way that you're approaching it because if you're going into entertainment industry whether it's hollywood whether it's broadway whether it's tv whatever it is you're if you're looking for validation this is the wrong business oh my god totally yeah. And and oh. it's weird though because it's like a it's like a double edged sword because you're mm-hmm. you're looking for the validation yet you can't because it'll ruin you if you seek too much of it. You know? Yeah, it's like a touch twenty two. It's like you obviously perform because you want people to validate at the end of the day like you. Yeah. Exactly. Validate your work. Absolutely. So it is it is truly a double edged sword. So I mean, it's a constant balance, man. I think, and there's like rules and stuff that you need to set for yourself. Otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I've seen people get into some real creative blocks because of it. So I think it's all absolutely. And I think that the trick for me has been cre- having friendships, like our friendship, where it's not competitive. It's like my success adds to yours, absolutely. vice versa. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's very important. And on that topic, I want to ask you because, you know, being a brown actor, we always joke about like the brown mafia with Mindy Kaling and Hasan Minhaj. And there's like such a great, vibrant community within the brown, you know, Daisy community of actors and, and creatives. And, you know, now with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, Oscars so white and people are making a lot of changes and there's a lot more visibility um, what was your journey like just a couple years ago going on auditions? Like, well, you know, I, talk to me about this that. is a really good point, man, of the, of the brown mafia. I feel like a lot more brown people need to support each other. I mean, there's been a white mm-hmm. mafia in the biz for 80 years. You know? Exactly. So mm-hmm. I think you, I, it's time that, that we need to realize that like we are stronger together and we are stronger yeah. fighting for each other instead of against each other instant in a, in a mindset of scarcity, like, Oh, there's only so many parts and I got to fight this other person to get, no, why don't we, why don't we step up and support each other and get help, get each other into leadership positions where we're creating more roles to, mm-hmm. to, to creating, so to create essentially more opportunity for each other, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's not, and it's not rocket science. It's like shows like insecure Rami, you know, special. There's so many shows where it's like, those people didn't feel like there were roles for them. So they wrote and created it and created that space. And, you know, like a show like Never Have I Ever on Netflix, like there's no point when you're watching that and you're like, this is about an Indian girl. It's about a girl who's going through high school and trials and tribulations. So I think it's showing that people of color are relatable to everyone, including white people. Absolutely. And I love like that, that Mindy Kaling has taken a step to create a, create a show like that and given opportunities to a lot of brown performers to show what they do, man. And I think uh, we can't wait for white people to create brown roles. We got to do it for each other, you know? So uh, Uh, um, I think that's, that's how I feel about that topic, man. Absolutely. And I think, and you've done such a beautiful job on the show. And I think that, and we talked about this a little bit as well off camera, like the, with the director, you were able on Zoe to kind of put your input and, be involved and be a collaborative experience. And I think, what did that feel like to be not just an actor who's paid to read lines, but someone that's integrative in the process? Yes. Um, well, one of my favorite directors on the show was John Turtletop. Yeah. Um, you know, directed the National Treasure Series, Cool Runnings, The Meg, While You Were Sleeping, a bunch of really great movies. And uh, again, someone whose taste I really admire. And he, he t- really took a liking to my character and really invested in the comedy of my character. And so we spent a lot of time workshopping so many of Tobin's funny bits in episode eight of the show. And, and all these little nuances were mined on the day, the giant cereal bowl, the different stuff that's happening in the bathroom. We had four different versions of that line where I walk in on Max and Zoe um, mm-hmm. We had ten different versions of every single joke of 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 me telling Zoe something else is wrong with the watch and 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 so it if it, it was it was really a masterclass in 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 being able to be like hey what are the tools that I need to to make really good strong comedic choices in my work mm-hmm. um, and so that was something that I took out of that. That's amazing. I think it's being, again, that collaborative experience of being able to give your input and actually be heard. There were so many times early in my career when I worked as a publicist where I would give advice and someone else 
that was white in the room would take credit for it and I wouldn't get any credit. Like, so that happens a lot in Hollywood as well. So I, I love that you were able to be on a set that's a lot more collaborative, which I think my, is... My, that's yeah, my set on Zoe's was the best, man. Austin mm-hmm. and everyone from the top down have created an atmosphere that is so welcoming, so collaborative and just fun. Like you show up and everyone is just trying to make it work, you know? I love that. That And you know what? That's half the battle. And, you know, whether you're working in Hollywood or Broadway or working at a car wash, it's about making it work. Like I always tell people, I'm like, it, a lot of people want to be famous from day one. They don't want to put in the work. But I think that's what differentiates people like us that are hustling and working. And when you get opportunities, like I always tell people, someone might look at you, Kapil, right, that went to high school with you and be like, oh, my God, he's so lucky. You just got Zoe. But they don't see like all of the work behind oh. it. You know, all of the auditions, all of the rejections. Oh my God, man. They know, no one sees, they'd be like, oh, he's, you know, he's so lucky he gets to do this. Mm-hmm. They don't see the, the, the months of singing lessons. They don't see the years of piano and guitar training to help me get my ear up to speed to match, mm-hmm. you know, music and, 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 or they don't see the, the six years of acting training that I did four at USC, mm-hmm. two outside of USC, Meisner technique. That's the stuff that, that rarely gets because it's not as interesting, you know. And, People like an overnight success, but I always say like, it. No one's really an overnight success. People are working towards something for most of their lives, and they put in the work. And so I, I mean, obviously there is right place, right time. But the fact is, you've done all the work because there's always going to be someone that could be potentially more successful, better looking, whatever. But the fact is you've come in and taken that space and that's empowering. Yes. And I think that if we, if we perpetuate this overnight success myth, mm-hmm. it actually, the profession that this profession being an actor actually makes it more intimidating instead of more inspiring. And I think that I, I'm, I'm trying to get more people of color to go into this path and, and, and being able to be like, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to try this because like, this is what you need to do. I'm going to like work hard. I'm going to take the lessons. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to support myself. And instead of being like, oh, this is something that is completely not achievable. This is a one in a whatever million billion thing. I want to make it right. so that like hopefully people can see that like, like you could do this too, man. Like if you prefer to passionate about it and you're in it for the right reasons and you're willing to hustle, you're willing to put in the work, um, it is achievable. Absolutely. And it's really, you know what? It's really inspiring to even unexpected people. Like my family is not really in entertainment. Most of them are doctors and lawyers and some, you know, very successful heart surgeons, et cetera. But they were so in awe when Rami won a Golden Globe, you know, and it's international and it's like entertainment has an impact that is far reaching. So when you see people on your screen, dude, we have a narrative like that. Like that, mm-hmm. it's so fresh and refreshing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like Absolutely. we want fresh, refreshing stories like that. Zoe's being one of them, and, and Rami being another. Like, we want to see that, and 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 fully fleshed out characters, right? Not only do you have Alex Newell playing a non-binary queer black person, and then you have so many intersections. You have a Indian brown like guy that's kind of figuring his life out that's trying to kind of talk like colloquial uh, you know and it's just it's also layered right and it's like people don't understand that again a a straight black man john clarence stewart playing with someone with mental health issues like 
all of those things, like, I think sometimes, like, I'm sure the creators know, but like, I don't think they get like what an impact that is to have a black man talking about suicide on TV. That's Dude, huge. It's huge, man. It's huge because it, it normalizes it and normalizes Mm-hmm. And, 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 and people watch it and they can relate to it. We can relate to, you know, um, the, the narrative. And I think, uh, it's, it's really special, man. And I, and, and I'm glad that we're not pigeonholed in these stereotypes in, in, in this show. It is really, really cool. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And the good thing is TV and film, hopefully. And, and I think with the black lives matter movement, even push it, Harold it forward even more. Broadway's trying to keep up. I know they've had a lot of problems um, with more diversification outside of Hamilton and Aida, but they're trying. And I hope that these conversations um, allow, you know, the creators and, you know, the powers that be to make some changes because, you know, it's 2020 and we need to move forward. Yes, man. Absolutely. And I think we will be able to do that. I think, especially with you, like I said, taking up space and creating that environment for people is very inspiring. Um, Before I let you go, Kapil, I want to play a fun game. Um, We've had such a great conversation and I think there are a lot of people are going to benefit from what you've shared with us. Sure. Um, Yeah, let's let's play a game. Okay, so if you were going to go on a deserted island, um, who are you taking from the Zoe cast? And you can only take two people. I can take two people. Oof, this is tough. I know. I know you love everyone, so it's hard. I love everyone. I think I'll take... Okay, I think I'm going to take... I I can only take two people? Um, Oh, you can take four. How about four? Is that easy? Then I feel bad. How about if I'll just do one? Because then... Just do one. Let's just do one. I think I'll take five. Okay. I'll take Skyler. He is, he is, he is in, in, he is my brother. I feel so good for him on the same wavelength. Like I call him all the time and I lean on him in different ways. And I hope he Mm -hmm. lean on me too. And I feel like if we're stuck on a desert Island, he'd be someone that I'd be like, I'll put, let's put our heads together and figure out how to get out or just have the best time there. Let's have the best time until we're discovered. Yeah, That's until we're discovered. Like, how are we, you know? And I think, uh, so, yeah, so, so, he's the person I would take. That's perfect. And it actually leads into my next question. Um, I know that you guys have a very special relationship, and I, I appreciate that a lot. What's one piece of advice that he gave you um, kind of before your life took off on the Zoe, you know, playlist, kind of, you know, the, the press and all the interviews and all that? Like, what was his advice before you got on that? you know, crazy um, adventure. I think he and Peter Gallagher actually said the same thing to me. And he's like, Hey, and I was like, Hey man, I'm just like, I'm a young actor. I'm trying to make a name for myself in this. And, and I think both of them saw my, my enthusiasm to both mm-hmm. veterans and, and Peter's been, been in the industry forever. And, and I, I look up to Peter tremendously. And I think both of them said something, um, that was very similar. He, they're like, let your work stand for itself. You know, mm. like save the schmoozing, save the like sweet talking, you know, cause people see through that. And mm-hmm. if you are just a good, kind person, compassionate, easy to work with, and you show up and mm-hmm. deliver and do a good job and, and you, 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 you know, um, you have a positive energy about you. That's all you can really 
take care of on your end and then, you know, putting out good work and then the rest will just follow because we'll want to work with you. People will see like your, your creativity and your craft. And, and that's how you like, once you're there, that's how you, you build in this business. So absolutely, that's great advice. That's really great advice. It's, it's about in some ways, like doing the work, putting your head down and not getting wrapped up in all the BS. Cause you know, this industry can glamorize a lot of BS. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's really great yeah. advice. I love totally, that. Man. That's awesome. Um, Kapil, when you're in the shower, what song are you singing? And will you give us a little rendition? <laughs> right now, honestly, I've been singing so much Elvis. Um, oh, yeah, I've been okay. like trying to like, uh, I've been trying to find my baritone, like, like I've been trying to like find my tone with some of the lower songs. So, um, wise men say only fools rush in for I can't help falling in love with you. And then, so, so that, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Um, so I've been like, sort of like, that's definitely something I'm singing in the shower just because or like just other Elvis stuff that is like one of those like classic baritone sounds, Sinatra, D Martin. Um, yeah. I love that. That's a great, and that's a fabulous song. And thank you for um, gracing us with that. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, just to wrap up Kapil, when like quarantine is, you know, things are starting to kind of open up. What's the first thing, you're like dying to do go go eat at your favorite restaurant go to the beach like what are you first thing bro i just want a haircut at this point Um, (laughs) i totally get it my my i have had to wear a cap every single day simply because my hair gets in the way of everything i'm doing it's gotten so long (laughs) and i'm that's something i'm scared of the most of uh, getting in, in terms of like corona because because like I'm living with my parents who are you know right. like in their fifties and and I'm like hey I don't want to kill them so no you don't that would not be good I'm same I'm with my parents as well yeah. so I think I've kind of had to accept I haven't been brunette I think in like ten years yeah so no, so so I'm just trying to like you know wait until I get a clearance of of when the barber shops and stuff can open. And then I'm going to let some people be the guinea pigs first. And if they don't die, I will, uh, I will go. And get <laughs> I will do, I'll get a haircut if they use like brand new tools every time, but I doubt they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. They use brand new tools and like, they show me the temperature reading right there. And I'll be like, okay, I'll get a haircut, but stand three Absolutely. feet away. Absolutely. I'm like, burn the barbershop to the ground and start building a new and then I'll come. Yeah. (laughs) I totally feel you. That is funny. Um, Kapil, I've had so much fun with you. Um, What's next for, I know that obviously we're in quarantine, but production's starting to open up. What's next for you um, on the Um, What's next? Well, I hope there's this show that I booked before quarantine. It's called Special. It's on Netflix. And um you know, from what I hear, it's still like, you know, you know, going to come back shooting right after this. So I hope to get back into that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's something that's on the docket. And in the meantime, I've been, you know, dabbling in some quarantine projects uh, here and there that are going to be released over the next 
couple weeks. So um, keep an eye out for that on my Instagram, which is at K-T-A-L-W-A-L-K. I love that. And you're now on Twitter as I well. I see you. Very yeah, I'm, I've gotten more active, but I don't know. Twitter, I'm still finding my way through Twitter. Twitter's not really my platform just yet. I, I think I'm, I'd rather, I'm more of a retweeter than I am a yeah, me too. I retweet a lot. I, I, it makes me feel smart. I'm like, someone's really good tweet. I just retweet, and I'm like, I feel like I said yeah. it, or I was yeah, yeah. It's like, it. yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like you know, you're in English class. And you're like, yeah, what Amir said, you know. <laughs> totally, totally. It's like someone says something deep, and you're like, yeah, you know what? To kind of piggyback <laughs> off of that, I agree. Like, <laughs> Amir said, I agree completely. And then. So- I don't know Amir is the one that said it. You like get like 10% of the like, you know, like high five, the pat on the back. (laughs) (laughs) That is so good. Um, That is hilarious. Um, I'm so here for that. Um, Capel, thank you for joining us uh, for the Take On, which is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. We really appreciate you. And honestly, from I know I'm your friend, so I'm a bit biased, but everyone, believe and trust me, he is as genuine as he seems, and I truly wish you all the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas Official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.